Hey everyone, this is Socratic Hobbits, a podcast where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, try to ask big questions and then answer them. Sometimes we stay on topic. Thanks for listening. I've got the uh, Revised Psychology of Human Misjudgment by Charlie Munger. Munger? Munger. Mm-hmm. I, uh, on my copy, I some notes, and I can just have that side by side, which is nice. Unfortunately, I took notes on the intro, but not on the other ones. Well, but... we, don't have to, we don't have to get to that right this second. I just wanted to make sure that I had it up ready to go this has been out for a while right this oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think charlie i think he wrote this uh i you know i'm not 100 percent sure what he did but it was it was quite a little while ago right i got that impression anyway have i talked to you about my plumbing at all you said it was gonna be like 25 or 30k 25 yeah yeah so they're coming uh my wife and i are heading are you going to hawaii on this no, we're not going to Hawaii on this. We just put it or revisit kind of our finances after after the new year and go through everything. And um, the, the large expense kind of got both of your attention on the same wavelength? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So in truth, you damaged the pipes. <laughs> I did not damage the pipes. <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> Isn't that one of these tendencies in this list? Well, uh, no. Also, I only read through page 30. I got... Well, I didn't read through any of them. Really, I was looking at this more as a... I'm going to... Well, I watched a YouTube video that summarized all all of them. And then... Really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I was skimming through the ones that I remember from the video that I thought were more relevant or pertinent to experiences I've had or Mm -hmm. things I've noticed about myself. So that's, that's more how I've, I approached this talk after reading the introduction. I see. Well, we'll have, uh, since I haven't read all of it, we might, there might be a little bit where, where you're more informed. I'll be able to use the, uh, the reason giving tendency yeah, or maybe the twaddle tendency. Yeah. Those, neither of those sound familiar. Are they towards the end? They're 23 and 24. 20, there's a lot of tendencies in here. I think I think with these, you would kind of need to... You need to spend quite a bit of time to judge them correctly. But there's there were a few things that I had wanted to talk about before we got into this. One is... Set some ground rules. No, this is unrelated. Um, one, I don't know if you wanted to talk about... Uh, our conversation with James at all, or um, I mean, I could I could correct the few things he pointed out um, that needed correcting. I'd be happy to do that. And then also, I wanted to see if you had an idea why pretty much every time snow gets in the forecast, everybody in Portland freaks out. Do you have an idea? Because they're Democrats. <sighs> I think I'm pretty funny. No, I don't. I don't think it's everybody. Have a political in Port- party affiliation. <laughs> I don't think it's from political party affiliation. <laughs> I think it might be 
one it snowed here this last uh-huh. weekend nobody even said anything it right. was in it was in the forecast ahead of time it was like but no big deal and i don't know if it's one of those things where it's like well the reason that people aren't talking about it right now is because one i'm not connected with people who are talking about it that's definitely possible i am less involved in large groups than I were than I was in the past that could be part of it uh the other is that everybody is so it just seemed like relative compared to everything else that's happened over the last however long it's just like I don't fine whatever like we're gonna get snow I'll deal with it and they just don't care because their caring muscle is overused or they're hyped up on perhaps partisan politics perhaps covid perhaps i don't know this was definitely one of the tendencies um so is that why you're is that why you're squinting at me well i'm I'm squinting at the screen trying to figure out which one it must have been uh what was uh what was a tendency oh just to take something that's about to happen and just blow it way out of proportion maybe availability no, it's not availability misweighing. Could I mean that could be part of it? Yeah. Hmm. It was one of the ones in the middle, but none of them are jumping out at me as being the one that was. There was one that was kind of like follow the crowd. Maybe it was social proof. I, I think I am thinking of fo- social proof. So he had the example of if you're going to a football game, a big football game in a little college town and you follow all the cars, you're probably going to get to the right spot. But following the crowd or the social proof tendency can have really (laughs) silly effects like the 10 guys get in the elevator, look at the back of the elevator, and then the next guy gets in who's the subject of the experiment. And instead of turning around facing the front of the elevator, he turns around and faces the back like everyone else. Sure. And I think sometimes that happens with – People who are, because so much of our, so much of society is on social media, when you, it just sort of amplifies this uh, social proof um, effect where some people start promoting this idea that uh, Snowmageddon is about to happen. And because what engages us on, what engages us most are things that, promote fear and uncertainty and disgust. Uh, the fear and uncertainty are very prevalent in Snowmageddon. I don't know where disgust would fit into that. but um, Everybody doesn't know how to drive except for me and like three other people I know. Oh, yes. That's the excessive self-regard. Yes. Um, I had a lot of fun reading that one. The and one about the Swede- the 90% of Swedish drivers. I'm sure. surprised you went to Sweden for that. I mean, you, you could have picked any country, but maybe Sweden's the only country that's had the wherewithal to actually run that experiment on their people (laughs) yeah probably anyway but yeah so so the sphere and uh disgust and um uncertainty uh, uncertainty and and anticipation right you're Mm -hmm. you don't know how it's gonna go right so are people like doing i remember i think you've brought this up every year we've done this podcast there's been some snowstorm that people are oh yeah 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 it's a tradition way overreacting to and are, are people again uh removing the, the, all the staples from the shelves no i don't think so i was actually reading a pretty interesting article about 
why we have so many why we have so much shipping so many shipping problems and um i would maybe we we could talk about it next podcast but or or between now and then you, you and i can talk we don't just have to talk on the podcast kyle in person oh we could talk yeah in person potentially i'll be home I'll, i mean i i basically told my boss i'd be home next week because if there's any snow or even chance of snow i'm i'm just not driving in and he was totally fine with that it's like oh, nice okay i'll just plan on working from home next week but um and my wife is not interested in being on this podcast with us. She did say it would be fun to talk to your wife, but not on the podcast. Did did your wife seem open to it? Uh, did you remember to ask she her? She sort of laughed. Oh, and then that was the end of that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was sort of funny because pretty recently we had the, uh, you posted the Moral Law podcast and I asked her what she thought of it and she just kind of went, yeah, it sounded like a lot of things I'd already heard. Oh boy. So we're losing her. No, just... I. I test test run a lot of the things I talk about in this podcast with her. Oh, so your wife doesn't actually need to listen to the podcast. She could just listen, like talk with you and she'd have, you know, more than half. Probably. I wonder who talks more. Well, in that podcast, I definitely talked more. Okay. <laughs> Which is yeah. why she said what she said. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have found, so we've been posting regularly for almost three months now. Uh-huh. And it's almost like we've had more consistent upward trending uh, downloads. I never would have thought. Are you being facetious? Uh, just a tiny bit. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess part of me is like, I don't. I feel like that doesn't really matter. Like honestly, that's what that's kind of what I thought. And so to uh-huh. to to have things scheduled out, um, you know, at this point we have them scheduled out through whatever, whatever time, and. It's like I can work on them and I can work on, we're far enough ahead that I can work on them in kind of bursts. Like I can spend four hours in a weekend getting everything that we have mostly done Mm -hmm. and then schedule them out for however much time and then not have to think about it again for, I don't know, six weeks. Yeah. Also, um, if you are listening to this and you are in Saudi Arabia, um, please email us. I'm very curious to talk with you. Do you think they're in Saudi Arabia or they're using a VPN? It's one of those two, but I'm not as interested if you're using a VPN specifically for Saudi Arabia. But we've had enough downloads from specifically Saudi Arabia that I think it's possible. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've had, I think it's 12 or 15 downloads from Saudi Arabia. I don't, I don't know. That is, that is a significant, a yeah, much yeah, more yeah. significant that, number than I would have imagined. That's our, it's our second most downloaded from country. But it's, <laughs> o- but, but it's only been in the last... Um, so they'll be hearing this in whatever February, but um, it's only been in the last like three weeks. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Um. So to correct some things from episode twenty-one, um, nobody which, was just squ- which episode was that? Episode twenty-one. Oh, it was the one we were talking about swim caps and. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, nobody was disqualified for not having the correct swim cap at the Olympics their swim cap itself was disqualified as we had a lengthy discussion between Kyle and our number one YouTube listener, podcast listener, James. I'm just going to throw out there that the lengthy discussion was mostly between the two of you. Yeah, but you were like, there was, you know, a good amount of snide comments. And I think that you, <laughs> you left, uh, what did you, you said at the end, uh, the ending was probably my favorite. Let's see if I can find it. 
When all is said and done, it seems like there is stronger support for discrimination against blacks in stuff like the war on drugs and prison populations than Olympic drug testing. It still didn't sound right to my ear, but that is what you wrote. And I think it is. It sounds like what I wrote. It is strong. There is stronger support. Sometimes my brain does this where it's like, I have to read it four or five times in order for it to sound right in my, to my ear. (laughs) Like I, so you and I talked, I think two or three episodes ago about my story and I've mm-hmm. written about 25, 20, 20, between 20 and 25,000 words on it since we talked, which is Whoa. a pretty good clip. I feel good about that. That'd be a, a third of a nonfiction novel. I wasn't not novel. I was, I think I just finished deep work. And in that book, he said it was about, it was a 70,000 word manuscript. Yeah. So a, Typical, uh, to give you an idea, a typical uh, fiction work is between 70 and 80,000 words. A typical sci-fi fantasy is anywhere between 90 on the low end and 150. Um, well, not even 150 on the high end. It could be as much as 200,000 words for a, a single um, fantasy book. And that's, that's, that's the genre that I, I enjoy writing in. Um, it gives you a lot more room to, to play. Um, so my, I would say I'm two thirds done and I have about 90 ish thousand, but a lot of that middle bit is going to get cut. Okay. Cut out. So I might be half done maybe. And then I'll, I'll go through editing and, um, I might end up doing a full rewrite of, of all of the, the stuff that's in the middle. We'll see. The method that I'm doing now is working, working fairly well for me. So, and have you have novels me. gotten shorter? A two hundred thousand word. Oh, novel. I thought you said. Sorry, I, I heard eighty to ninety. Maybe that was for nonfiction. No, eighty to ninety is typical for like non-sci-fi fantasy. I think that's what I've been told. Okay, I was just I was. I just finished Pride and Prejudice and I was curious how long that was. And it said about 130,000 words. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely possible that other main, other genres have gotten shorter. Part of why I've at least heard the rationale for why sci-fi and fantasy are longer is because they have a more unique um, setting. And that's part of the reason people enjoy them. Speaking of sci-fi and fantasy, have you ever read Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson? No, I've never even heard of Neil Stevenson. Interesting. Give me the give me the 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 shortest of the short blurbs that's on the back. Well, the does it book take place in a kind the, of a wintry way? That's that's no, that's Snow Crash was the book that coined the term the metaverse. Huh. Okay. So it's about people Sorry, is it sci-fi living, or fantasy. Uh, I will sci-fi. Okay. And it's about people living in a dystopian future that is controlled by. Um, large corporations and they spend their time inhabiting virtual worlds through VR headsets and um, Snow Crash is the name of a drug that not only kills you in the virtual world, but kills you in real life. Sounds delightful. This was written in 1992. Wow. That sounds like a very good read. I'm going to have to borrow it from the library. Unless, Unless you wanted to talk about it and don't actually recommend it as a read. 
I have not read it. Um, mm, okay. I just came across it recently because of looking into some of the stuff Facebook is talking about and other people talking about Web3 applications. Oh, I read an interesting... Um, it was basically like why Web3 is garbage. And oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, do you want me to send it to you? Yes. Yeah. Um, that well, would be another... You, you could also give me the... The summary? Not too short synopsis. Yeah, so uh, basically... Um, in order, so it's, so he spent a fair amount of time talking about Bitcoin and why in order for it to be what it claims to be or like, Mm -hmm. or wants to be right. Why the part of why people have the faith in it that they do. Part of the author's point was that in order for Bitcoin to be as accepted as it needs to be in order to replace, um, the U S currency or to become, a essentially a, a, a fo- as large as a foreign currency in in the world's like financial systems it needs to become the thing that it uh like its antithesis mm-hmm. um and there were a handful of different points that he made one of them that was uh i think particularly compelling was that the it's a race to the bottom for computational resources at this point and it's only going to get like places that are doing the mining are just wherever you get can get the electricity the cheapest Mm -hmm. that's not a sustainable model long term and that was the author's one of the author's Mm -hmm. points and and why that is exactly he goes into and i'm not smart enough to pair it so what did he have to say about web3 i'd be far more interested in web3 than a Critique, no, a critique of Bitcoin specifically, because I think there are, I've read people talking about Web3 who have um, levied a a more fundamental critique against Bitcoin than any of that. But yeah, so so I'm really curious about what he said about Web3 mostly. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I, the um, parts about blockchain. Uh, and specifically Bitcoin had more of a place to grab in my head. I think one thing that applied to both blockchain and Web 3.0 was that you are actually very inefficient when you are, when everything is decentralized. Centralization is an efficiency thing. Mm -hmm. And so in order to have agreement between many different servers all the time, like it makes sense that we have gatekeepers in many, many places, it's not just a function of people accruing power because they wanted to accrue power. It actually makes sense like that those who have are able to add an additional... If you're able to have a high production output, then every single one of those additional resources or every additional product costs significantly less. But having everything decentralized... Um, and then computers constantly checking each other for validity of other computers and making sure that everything agrees all the time is just very computationally expensive. It was basically, it was his kind of very, in the broadest sense, um, kind of what he was talking about. I'll get a link to that in the show notes and then send it to you as well. And then you can think about it a little more critically. Yeah, I'm reading a book called Life After Google right now that my brother recommended slash got for me. Okay. And then it's that's a strong recommendation if you buy somebody a book. Yeah. Um it in it 
the I've only read the first couple of chapters, but he makes the case that Google is the epitome of Web two, okay. and and really the the epitome of a particular worldview, which is the and and the underpinning of that worldview is that if the 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 goal the the underlying goal is to amass all data in one central location so that artificial intelligence algorithms can operate on it and produce a supercomputer that will bring about essentially a marxist utopia where like like marx looked at the industrial revolution as the opportunity for uh, machines to take the place of people so that people would have the opportunity to just make poetry and art and spend their time however they pleased. Sure. And and the machines would generate enough wealth that it would be unnecessary for people to work productively themselves. And so you could just rely on the machines to generate the wealth to then feed everyone and then everyone could go their own way. And, and that's why communism was going to work. And we started to hear similar arguments around artificial intelligence that because we have a computer that can beat Go, which we have determined to be this very complex game, okay, we, we can see the writing on the wall for humans as creative producers. And soon we are just going to have computers and robots that do all of our producing and we can all go enjoy the fruits of the robots labor and hang out on a beach or inhabit the metaverse as it were. Hmm. Okay. And so, so that's the epitome of what Google has right for us. Right. Okay. And, and, and he goes back to, a mathematics conference uh, in Germany with um, von Neumann and uh, Hilbert, I think, and then another mathematician, Gobert. And in that conference, which was supposed to establish how math could basically logically come up, come together with a theory of everything, Gobert, I, I think it was Gobert, a theory of everything that sounds a little bit like in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, I haven't read that. Oh well, then that that will not have any. That seems like a a useless. That that seems very useless. A theory of everything. That's not. It's way too vague. Or is that? Well, I mean, if you have enough data centralized in a single location, so that you can produce, you have an out. You have algorithms that can produce any desired result. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the, des- the desired end result of the quote unquote theory of everything. Maybe it's not okay. a single theory that does everything, but it's a single mechanism I see. that produces any, everything. Okay. Okay. I didn't mean to derail you. But it, so, so at any rate, at this conference that was supposed to come up, kind of be the unveiling of the ability to deduce anything solely using mathematical proof, 
Gobert came up and presented that all proofs are the result of, at some point, circular argument. And that circular argument is an axiom that was creatively produced by a human being. And so we can't get away from the fact that everything that gets produced needs humans putting our intellectual energy into it. Okay. And so... What, when was this conference? Um, I'm trying to remember when von Neumann Like what, lived. decade? It would have been the 18 or 1900, early 1900. Hmm. It was, it was between uh, Newton and Nazi Germany. Okay. Which is a really big time span, I know. But yeah. that those are the markers. It was after the Roman Empire and before now. No, it was between 1800 and <laughs> the 1930s. I'm just saying, technically, I would be correct as well. You would be correct as well. Those are the facts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So that is, um, that is significantly earlier than I was expecting based on some other things that you said. But like specifically specifically related to AI and Go, but maybe I'm not. So so the connection is that AI and Go is is built off this premise that we can have this machine that has the theory of everything. The life, the answer to life, the universe and everything. Okay. Right. And And those machines are built on math. And Gobert at that conference presented a proof that math alone is not enough to provide us with everything. Hmm. And so that is, I think, the foundation of where the author is going with the benefits of Web3 in moving away from this. What's the name of this book? Is it The Benefits of Web3? Oh, Life After Google. Okay. I'll have to take a look. I'm curious. At some point, anyway. Do you have the uh, paperback or do you have a Kindle version? I have the hardback. Your brother works at Amazon. He got you. He didn't get you the Kindle version. No. Man, I think he'd get some kind of deal. Oh well. I can get this for a dollar eighty. On Kindle? No. It's used. Probably oh, have to used. pay for shipping. Three ninety nine. Yeah, probably. Still only five dollars for a book. Books are cheap. The ideas are priceless. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to actually get into our podcast? I mean, this has been our podcast, but the uh... <laughs> well, I was I was thinking I I don't want to kill the podcast by mentioning twenty three the twaddle tendency, which is the tendency of people to just prattle on about things because because they started talking be, about them. They're supposed to be prattling. Oh, all he, right. Okay. He has a really good. Uh, he has a really funny experiment that. That was in that one about honeybees. And I guess, so So honeybees do a dance, right? To tell the other bees where the nectar is, mm-hmm. where the pollen is. And so some clever scientist put the pollen straight up above the hive. And honeybees don't have a word for straight up above the hive because there's never. Right. There never would be. <laughs> there never would be, right? But the bee will still come back and do just some sort of like crazy dance. And confuse all the other bees. Because <laughs> he's trying to communicate where he found the, <laughs> the pollen. But, that's not very nice. That's, that's hilarious, though. But I thought it was really instructive for uh, just anchoring that idea about twaddle. Is born to prattle and pour out twaddle. 
that does much damage when serious work is being attempted. Huh. Hmm. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> isn't that why, what we're doing? This is, isn't that what we've been doing for the whole last year and a half? Longer now? No. We've been, been having good conversations with, with one another, which we happen to post online. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. all the world. Even yeah. Saudi Arabia. Even Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've we've mentioned we've mentioned it before, but um, so Charlie Munger made this uh, speech. He uh, he he gave this speech and then went had some time and went back and then made it into a forty five page essay, which is on fs dot blog if you're interested, which will maybe should be in the show notes. Um, it's called the Revised Psychology of Human Misjudgment by Charlie Munger. Um, and he, in, uh, very succinctly in, uh, 20, let's see, what's the last one? 25, 20, 25 in 25, tendency. in 25 rules, he sums up the, uh, the human experience. What is that one called? The Lollapalooza tendency. Huh? Yep. It says it in the title there. I haven't gotten there. Yeah. And it's. Basically, when you combine a bunch of these tendencies, you get even bigger reactions. Okay, is that what a, is a Lollapalooza like a over-the-top kind of Festival. experience? Is that the idea? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So, okay, okay. I'm happy to have you kind of guide our discussion. If there was a handful that you wanted to talk about, the only one that I am particularly interested in talking about is the. Uh, extreme self-regard um and then perhaps which number oh excessive self-regard excessive self-regard it looks like it's 12 yeah yeah so i mean we could start there but if you have some some that you want that you were particularly interested in talking about um as you kind of got you did a little bit broader and anyway i just i just kind of went through it kind of um i went through it from the from the beginning to end. Yeah, we can start with excess, excessive self-regard or the the tendency he doesn't have in here explicitly that I was kind of trying to do to a conversation I was having with another friend. I was kind of trying to tease out was the uh, tendency to double down on mistakes. Okay. What do you mean? So, I mean it's it's most present in in I guess stock trading psychology where a stock starts going down and instead of going, oh, this was not the right time to buy this stock and Mm -hmm. selling it at a loss. Instead, I go, oh, it's now cheaper than it was when I bought it. I'm going to buy more of it. And then it keeps going down. Yeah. And I was curious which tendencies you might see describing that. Yeah. I I think what's kind of interesting is that like if you – depending on what you think about the company because it's a stock is a share of a stock is not actually like the price is a piece of information it's an important piece of information if you're planning on stock trading though i don't know i guess i i find that a i don't know i would rather purchase a stock a share of a stock because i am interested in owning part of that company mm-hmm. yeah i guess we're talking about different things then um but if you if you like know that the value of the company is actually significantly more and then you 
purchase it and then it goes down in price, I think you should consider that new piece of information. But if you really truly believe and have good reason to believe that the price of the stock is actually under, like it's it should be more expensive than it is, purchasing more might make sense. If you're looking to day trade, though, it's probably the dumbest thing you can do unless you think it's going to bounce back right away, right? Right. It also depends if you're shorting the stock, in which case you shouldn't do that. That's a that's a gamble I don't think I would ever probably take. As far as what which one might describe that, um, oh, there is actually one that would potentially describe it. Uh, I think it's like 12, not 12, it would be like 11 or... 13? Not over optimism. It would be deprival, it would be 14. I know, is There's one that was like, I, uh, basically like, if I own it, it's better. Is that excessive self-regard? Is it? Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. This is the only <laughs> one I want to talk about. <laughs> How convenient. How convenient that I think that the just random thing that you came up with, or, uh, you know, one that you couldn't fit, fit into the one that I liked. Huh. So interesting that, um, he also, so, um, another, um, something related to this excessive self-regard is the endowment effect. Basically when I own something, it becomes mm-hmm. more valuable than if somebody else owned it. So the stock that I picked, I actually, I know that this is a great pick because I picked it. Right. And I picked the number of shares. I picked the number of shares. I picked I, the lottery I ticket. I picked the price. I picked, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that fitting. I really didn't mean, <laughs> I really didn't mean the one that I picked. The, the, the tendency that I picked just happens to fit, you know. Jeez. Uh. So, yes, Daniel, let's talk about this one. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Well, Kyle, we can talk about a different one. One I don't like as much. <laughs> Glad you find it so funny. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I think what's, I think I see this all the time, present, you know, uh, situation. Excluding what we just talked about. Excluding here. the fact that I just maybe did this. Um, I think it, uh, I think, yeah, it just, okay. Taking honestly, taking this tendency in mind, I don't know that this fits what you just brought up. It could, but it might not. Um, this tendency is that when you have picked something, or when it is yours in some way, you feel any ownership of it, then you tend to value the findings from it more than you would new information or somebody else's choice of the same thing. Right. It's it's part of why when like if you're going to bring, I don't know, I, I heard this um, this uh, business owner talk about this at, at a certain point. He used, like when he was kind of on the lower level um, of management and he would come to his boss with a solution and his boss would say, yeah, that's a great idea. Make this one change with it. All of the joy of the solution that he came up to the problem that they were having just left. It was just like his totally deflated him. Yep. When he was sitting in the chair at first, he basically did the same thing. And then he realized the joy of them finding a solution and then him having his two cents in 
ruined it for them. And there was a a 90% of the time they would figure out because he had done a good job in picking who would fit, you know, the different management positions below him. At least that's what he said. Maybe, maybe regarding himself too excessively. Um, they, they would figure out what his advice was eventually. And they would learn that the lesson that he had learned better than if he had just said, Hey, maybe make this one change. And they felt a complete ownership over the thing. Mm-hmm. So, so knowing that other people regard their own ideas, their own, I mean, themselves pretty highly, there's a, there's a lot of things that you can kind of take away from that. I think, yeah, just knowing, knowing that other people prefer them like themselves, essentially, like you can intentionally mirror others when you're, when you're interacting with them to decrease social friction. You know, if you're doing, I don't know, if you're playing a game of chance, like he kind of goes into people are more likely to bet on themselves, even when they're not, you know, even when they're playing against somebody else who's clearly better, you can use, use that to know, like to have that thought. If you're in that situation where it's like, I know, I feel like I should continue to go down this path, but I actually know that this person is good at this. And even though I feel like I, you know, there, there is a chance that I could win. There is a chance that I could, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should sell when the price dropped because I didn't have all my information or whatever. We talked about, like, if you pick the stock, yeah, man, I really, I really want to shoehorn your idea into here. Well, it's it, killing it me. seems to really be tied closely. And a lot of these tendencies do have a lot of overlap with one another. Sure. But the, the overlap with the optimism, ten, over-optimism tendency, the next mm-hmm. tendency seems to be very present because essentially excessive self-regard is almost a subset of over-optimism where we're over-optimistic about our own abilities. Mm-hmm. And, and one of, I mean, you're kind of alluding to this, one of the antidotes to that over-optimism tendency that Munger lists out is just to be trained in habitual use of simple probability. Mm-hmm. So we look at, instead of, relying on our and i guess this is more in in making decisions that you can apply probability to instead of relying on our our pride as he notes that pride is another word generally left out of psychology textbooks and this omission is not a good idea instead of doing that in cases where we can make a decision where some probabilities are accessible that can be really helpful to helping us avoid both the excessive self-regard ten- tendency and the over-optimism tendency and their the possibility of them derailing us. Yeah. I wonder, so what would be in your life or my life that we would be able to apply probability to? I suppose it would, I mean, I was going to, th- I was going to say something related to jobs, but that doesn't, doesn't quite make sense. Um, well, I, I think related to our jobs, you can definitely, at least I can think of cases where, I can go, okay, what's the trade-off in making this design change? I, I know 100% what it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And then I can assign, intuitively, I can assign different probabilities to different test failures if I make the change and test successes if I don't make the change, which would be one minus a failure. And then multiplying all those out, um, we actually have... Oh, I actually have an example of where I did this. We, okay. we have a table 
where we're supposed to go through and determine whether or not we should call, we should tell the factory to stop shipping a product because we think it's defective. Or, mm. or we, 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 know, we know that there is a defect in a product, but there are different levels of defects. There, there are defects. Like thresholds? Yeah. Yeah. Thresholds are levels. Basically, the, the, you can have a defect that is defective, but because of the design of the product, it actually doesn't matter to – it'll never impact the customer. But you can also have defects that will result in degraded performance for the customer. And then there are other defects which will actually result in equipment damage. Mm. And and then there's – Do you have any defects that would affect uh... – not affect 99% of customers. And so you don't, you fix the problem, but you don't. Well, that's, that's, that's another component. That's another kind of layer to it where you look at, okay, how likely is this problem to be a damage to the equipment? How, How likely is the problem to be customer has degraded performance? How likely is it to be Hmm. customer doesn't notice anything? Yeah or it is not impacted at all. And then how and then you also look at how many units is this likely to have happened to? Mm. And if then you only after one. You, right. It's a, it's a lot it's a lot worse if you've shipped a thousand of these widgets than if you've shipped one of them with this defect. Yeah. But then that also depends on how bad is failure? Is it a city's power grid goes down? That's very different than the the CPU temp rises two degrees, but we have five degrees of margin. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, that's uh, yeah, those are pretty significant, significantly different. Yeah. So that's an example of using probability to avoid going. Oh, I designed that; it should be fine. I see. Hmm. I'm wondering. Yeah. So a lot of what we talk about is uh, personal development, as far as like habits and relationships, things like that. And there aren't near as many probabilities that you would be able to use in that situation. So what if instead of probability, you looked at it from the standpoint of, well, I guess still probability. What is the probability that this action is taking me towards my goal or away from my goal? Yeah, that's a good question to ask and think about. But the truth is, is that for the most part, things haven't been tested they haven't been i don't know you could when you're looking for habits to ensure kind of the results that you want you could look to see how many different places you see them right you could see is this is this a common thing that people do mm-hmm. that's not necessarily going to tell you one way or the other but if a lot of people are suggesting it then there's a better chance that it's going to get you what you want or that it's going to be good for you in some way. If a lot of people, a lot of different people suggest it or somebody with a particular authority suggests it or Mm -hmm. something like that. I was thinking of the authority thing as well as in terms of have people who have been successful in something that you want to be successful in exhibited this behavior trait. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, like I think there's a, there's less value in do a lot of people, on the internet suggest this or do the people who I live with say that, yeah, that's a, that seems like a good thing for you to pursue. 
right? Because they actually know you. <laughs> yeah, because they because they know you, and you're you're actually kind of guarding against kind of pride in your own thought process by having input from others. And well, that's a good point. Yeah, because instead of it being, oh, I found this blog post on the internet that reinforces my idea, it's, oh, this person I know, trust, and care about, and I know cares about me, is suggesting this reinforcement in my behavior or change in my behavior. And for like everybody on the everybody on the internet has an ulterior motive in that they're trying to get your trying to get your eyeballs on their page for their ads for the most part. Mm-hmm. The only there's a very little very small amount of ulterior motive that my friends and family have and that they want things that are good for me because they care about me and so they benefit when I do things that I've got friends who I know for sure would help me out if I needed needed it related to like money or they like I needed help on a project or I needed a shoulder to cry on whatever and so when I'm doing well, I need less of their resources, but I, I don't know, like we just go through life together and yeah, you've got the reciprocation tendency, the liking, loving tendency. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say we got room. We got, we got room in this podcast for one or two more of these. Is there any other that were like, yeah, I really want to talk about this one or. Well, I was thinking about well, the, the, the curiosity tendency was interesting to me just because it didn't seem to be a bad thing. It was just sort of, it's good to be curious. And curiosity is studying things for the pleasure which studying them brings. And that was... Yeah, there was a few of these that were like, they didn't seem particularly, they seemed non... That might have been one of the main ones. But the some of them that were particularly short, like the over-optimism tendency, I could mm-hmm. see how that's like, that's good to know. As far as curiosity goes, I think this would, there would almost be, did he talk about later? Did he talk about a novelty tendency? Not really. I mean, availability, misweighing is the, uh, he, he, he alluded to the country song. Um, I don't know. It was like, I don't always like the girl I love, but I always like the girl who's next to me. (laughs) I missed that. I mean, that's down at like 18. Okay. But sort of that idea that if it's present, it's more on your mind than if it's absent. Yeah. Actually, um, this book I was reading a little while back uh, called Skip the Line. Um, he titled the chapter that, that this was in um, Networking for Introverts. But basically what you do is you go to your email or texts and you go, you scroll basically as far back as you want, you know, he's assuming obviously that you've had your phone for a long time or that you've had your email for a long time, which is true for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then you find somebody who was interested in meeting with you or talking with you about something or that you knew related to work. And then you just reply to their latest email or whatever email you happen to have. And then by being at the top of different people's minds, so you do that once a week or once a day and reconnect with people who you already had some connection with mm-hmm. and then by being near to their minds in some way oh yeah i know like kyle used to be interested in this one thing or we were just talking about this like maybe i'll send this send this to him 
something like that. But by being at the top of a lot of people, different people's minds, you kind of create that for yourself and you're more likely to garner opportunities. That was his idea anyway. I don't know how well it works. Was that the influence from Mere Association as well? Yeah. The one where he's talking about how Ben Franklin would send the guy a book re- recommendation or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I, I think it was, oh, he was talking about favors, right? Yeah. Inconsistency avoidance. Oh, weird. No, this is a different one. Oh, wait. This no, it like is. the opposite. As he was risking, but... as he was rising from obscurity in Philadelphia and wanted approval of some important man, Franklin would maneuver that man into doing Franklin some un- unimportant favor, like lending Franklin a book. So somehow he would get the other guy to lend him a book. And thereafter, the man would admire and trust Franklin more because... Why would I give a book to somebody, lend somebody a book that I didn't like or admire? And that would be inconsistent. They would see that as an inconsistency in themselves. Oh, actually, that sounds a lot like the stock picking thing. Only a, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with your, I regard your uh, opinion very highly in this. I think you're right. See what I did there? Is is that? No, no, I just avoided the self- Never mind. Oh, the the ex- excessive self regard. Yeah, I just you, just you regular... propped up my excessive self regard. No, no, no. I was avoiding my excessive self regard because I noticed it and said no, 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 no Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, Kyle! <laughs> I'm just messing. One of the ones I was I was actually talking to my wife about um, was the Kantian fairness. Oh, that was at the end, right? That was number seven. Right at the end, at seven. I mean, it was halfway through for you. <laughs> okay, you were talking about... <laughs> and, and the reason we were talking about different people in a, who are staying or, or leaving a company in, um, in our local area right now. And in the, both the Kantian fairness tendency and the reciprocation tendency, he talks about how we... I mean, reciprocation is fairly straightforward. Like we like to do nice things for people who do nice things for us. Mm-hmm. But the Kantian fairness is essentially the golden rule. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more of a general reciprocation. Like we're human, therefore we reciprocate. Not you did something nice for me, therefore I reciprocate. So that's the difference between the Kantian fairness tendency and the reciprocation tendency. Would that be fair to say? Um, Kantian Fairness tendency is a general statement that we're both human, therefore we seek what's fair for one another. Mm-hmm. Reciprocation is you did something nice for me, I will do something nice in return. Yeah. So I would say that the Kantian fairness is more like, it's almost more like karma. I don't expect that person to do something nice for me again, mm-hmm. but I expect that other people in that situation would do what I'm doing for this other person Mm -hmm. in this example that he's using is, is like how in a perfect world traffic would merge like a zipper. Yeah. And, uh, that doesn't work. We have AI powered cars. That would be great, but that's not the world we live in right now, Kyle, maybe when this podcast publishes, but not right now. Um, but the reason that works is because of this fairness of like, I want things to work well for you and for me and for everybody just to get home and not be in traffic anymore. 
one thing that might work is if everybody lived close to where they work, but you know, instead I'm going to live 45 minutes away. So now we have this traffic merge. Right. And, and what I was thinking about with the content fairness is, is with our jobs, I, I was kind of speculating on whether sometimes we stay in jobs that are not necessarily in our best interest to be in because we've been given that job by the hiring manager and we've received a paycheck consistently and we've gotten to work on things that we're interested in. And so there's, there's a, there's a reciprocation that happens there where we want to be a consistent employee Mm -hmm. at that place of work. Now, what I just thought about is how that actually, that reciprocation goes, continues to go both ways to a certain degree. The other thing I thought about was how they have done studies. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm really spinning around here because I've, I've, I've heard of studies that indicate that switching jobs is more effective at increasing compensation. But then I've also heard that staying in one place long-term is more effective for long-term compensation. So short-term content. Cons- wow, I'm having a hard time. Let me try one more time. You and me both, brother. <laughs> Compensation. I was like, constipation? Concentration. Contemptation? I don't know. I don't even know what I was going to do. Compensation. So for me, like, I've switched around jobs fairly, like, basically since I entered the construction industry. Mm-hmm. But each time, it's gotten better and better for me. I I know I was joking about with my wife at one point. I was like, huh, like now that we have this new plumbing bill, like maybe I should start looking for another job. And I don't know how much she appreciated that. But but that is something that I have heard is, is, is a, I guess I've heard it that it used to be you were better off sticking with one employer mm-hmm. and now you're better off getting a pay bump you'll get a larger pay bump when you switch jobs than you will from consistent salary raises. Yeah. I've never been somewhere where I had any, any expectation of consistent salary raises. Not even cost of living. No, uh, no, I I guess there was cost of living, but it was like 3% of 20 bucks is not really that much. That wouldn't be very much. No, (laughs) that was one place where I like, I'd like graphed it out. And I was like, by the end, I'll be making $40 an hour. When and that was 65. like after working there 30 years or something crazy like that. It was a long time. And I was like, well, then I'll have this much in retirement and this much. I would hate that. <laughs> that would be bad. And that was before 7% inflation. <laughs> that was. It was before 7% inflation, which is where we're at right now. That does not seem very fair. Mm-mm. No. And their kind of reasoning for that was they had really, really good benefits. It's like, well, I don't know. They're all right. We didn't get to the end of of should you look at jobs more, look for jobs more frequently, or should you submit to Kantian fairness and and stay with your employer long term? I don't think that it's a Kantian fairness. I think that people just like things being the same that they are. I disagree with you fundamentally. So which one would that be? That be 
available i guess that could be availability miss wing yeah i think i think you're probably right um i want to there want to be like a consistency one i think the availability one avoidance is that (laughs) consistency avoidance is that (laughs) that one he he put it in the double negative where did he where is it number five inconsistency avoidance he could have just said consistency preference tendency or something like that yeah i mean of this place that was you know everything was i had my my wages mapped out through the end of my working career like there were i would say probably four out of five people were like deeply unhappy at being there that sounds like a miserable place to work i didn't realize it at the time but yeah it was it was pretty miserable the at like everyone a lot of people were petty probably myself included at times and i would say the people who were not deeply unhappy at working there were very involved in certain things outside of work their hope or their it kind of just like while they were at work they were at work and that was fine and then they didn't have very much fun at work but it was like they could go in do their work not take anything home and not even think about it and come in tomorrow do the same thing over again no big deal to them and some people it was just drudgery and but you had to be there for eight hours a day oh yeah yeah yeah. or people if you you had we had a time clock where if you were three minutes before or after your shift end or start your the you'd talk with your manager about it ah same for lunches you had to be gone for less than 33 minutes and more than 27 did people ever have days where they didn't have stuff to work on so they ended up doing other stuff <laughs> this is this is the place where I learned how to do Excel. Excel. Have I not told you uh, the story? No. Um. So, I'll 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 say it in as few words as I possibly can. I've told the story probably a hundred times. I thought I would have told it to you at this point. No, you've never told me this story. So the guy who worked before me in the job. Um. So my hours were like eleven to seven thirty, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Monday through Wednesday, Friday and Saturday. Pretty miserable hours because. Nobody ever has breakfast with people on weekdays. And so my lunch was at work uh, at two-ish. And everybody else was done work, like done with their lunch at that point. And so I'd eat lunch by myself. And then dinner, I wouldn't get home until eight. Most everybody had already eaten at that point. And also people don't like hanging out on. (laughs) Anyway, so that was like my sad, sad two years there. Or like first year, basically. But um, Sunday through Tuesday. What do you mean Sunday through Tuesday? Well, you didn't work those days. I didn't work on Sunday and I didn't work on Thursday. I worked Monday well, I through Wednesday, Wednesday. Monday Wednesday, through Wednesday, Thursday. Friday and Saturday. Oh, you didn't work Thursday. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, it was pretty. Anyway, really good, really easy to get errands done on that day off though. Um, But anyway, so the guy who was working before me, he would routinely get done at like 8 or 9 p.m. And then go home and then come back the next day and do it again. Um, part of it was he had kind of seen the process go from like basically punch cards all the way through to kind of Excel and um, access macros and different things. And so uh-huh. whenever there was anything that seemed a little bit off to him, which the manager had repeatedly told him to not do, he would figure out exactly why it was wrong. 95% of the time. It was like nothing. In fact, I was I was like pretty explicitly, if I recall, told 
just like as long as things were within this realm don't double check these numbers like that's what they are uh-huh. they're actual orders that are coming in and you're preparing something for the the people to bake and so uh it got to the point where i would get the bake at 3 p.m i think the cutoff was at three somewhere's around there and then i would finish around 345 to three between 330 and 345 and then i would have nothing to do until i left at 730 and so i i told my boss this and i was like is there anything i can do he's like well you can do this and this and this and this and i'm like i all right now i'm done it was like a week later he was like well don't look at websites that are naughty and don't don't look at gun websites or terrorist websites just <laughs> just um if just don't pe- go on the dark web if people are here just look busy otherwise bring a book or whatever i don't care just you have to be here eight hours because weird yeah so um i went to yeah i went to there was a handful of different excel websites and then And then I went to like, I would kind of time myself and try to finish. And I remember there was a a handful of times where I was real excited because I'd I'd get it done in like 15 minutes. Uh And then I realized now I have even more time and there's no reason to go this fast. It was fun. Except you could learn more Excel. Except then I could learn more Excel. Yeah. There was a point at which I had like uh, quite a bit of it just as a big macro, but then that blew up once. And so I didn't do that anymore. You did tell me that story. Yeah, that was real bad. There was one day actually that I created um, the previous day's orders on accident, not the current day's orders. Didn't catch it. Oops. 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 There was a lot of good deals on bread that next week because <laughs> we had made too much. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and actually, the next day, my boss said, Daniel, we had an opportunity last night. <laughs> I was like, opportunity for what? This is my, I had no idea what he was talking about. And he's like, well, when we were doing this and this and this and this and this, um, you, you did this. And I was like, that doesn't that sound like That was my a- Excel macro, man. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like an opportunity. That sounds like I made a mistake. What's the opportunity? <laughs> it's like, it was an opportunity. Hey guys, Daniel again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating on whatever service you use. If you didn't, there's contact info in the show notes. We'd love to hear your feedback. There's also a link to support us financially if you're so inclined. Thanks so much.